Hey, good morning, everybody. So glad to see you all here. I know we've got several who are away on some fall break excursions. Uh, I know the North Lawrence schools were out last week, so welcome back if you were away. Uh, Mitchell, Orleans, Shoals, all those schools are out this week. So if you're planning on going somewhere, I pray for safe travels there and back on your journeys. Um, but if you're sticking around, Anita could use some help this week, by the way, <laughs> which she'll tell you more about that in just a little bit at the end of our services. Uh, we've also got Warren Crawford here this morning who's going to share a bit about Bryantsville Hunger Relief Project uh, again at the end of our services. So stick around. We've got a lot of good stuff, a lot of ways that you can help out and, and serve God and his kingdom coming up toward the end. Hey, we're starting a new series today called The Antihero, and if you're a Taylor Swift fan, I'm sorry, that song's going to be stuck in your head for the next few weeks. My bad. But it fits. The, the title fits, and we'll get to that in just a bit. This is going to be a study through the book of Jonah, which is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's short, it's to the point, but it's so easy to miss the point. Spoiler, it is not about a fish, Okay, like seriously, I, I'm, I'm so serious about that. So many times the, our understanding of the book of Jonah goes all the way back to Bible school, Sunday school. Maybe some of you like had the flannel graph uh, boards, right? With the little Jonah figure being inside the little fish figure on the flannel board. Um, some of you might remember like the Veggie Tales Jonah movie, which... Rocks, I'm not going to lie, it's, it's awesome. But so many times our understanding of these Bible stories stops at a vacation Bible school level. So, pardon the pun, but we're going to go deeper than that through this series, through the book of Jonah. It's one of my favorites. Because it's so short, it's almost one of those things where every word, every phrase matters. Every instance matters. Everything that Jonah does or doesn't do, everything Jonah says or doesn't say matters because it's so short. So we're going to look at that uh, kind of more in-depth, hopefully more adult look at the book of Jonah. So if you're like, I haven't studied Jonah since I was a little kid, we're going to catch you up to speed, all right? So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, we're going to be just in the first five verses of Jonah today. It's split up into episodes. We're going to take it in a six-episode mini-series, if you will, all right? Um, I think it divides pretty, pretty easily that way. So episode one, The Runaway. Episode one, The Runaway. If you're following along, again, in version Bible app, if you go to that bottom right icon on your screen, uh, click that and then find the events tab, you can find all the notes there in your Bible app as well. So let's jump right in. Jonah 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. All right, right off the bat, we got to pause. Got to pause. We can't go further than that because we got to set the stage. We're introduced to the main character of this story. But before we get to Jonah, we've got that phrase, the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. This phrase appears in the Old Testament over 200 times. The word of the Lord. It's a pivotal phrase, especially when God is trying to communicate something 
to his people through a prophet, the word of the Lord. This is, in a sense, our once upon a time. This is our a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. The original hearers would know exactly what kind of story is being told when it says the word of the Lord came to a prophet. Who is that prophet? Let's meet this prophet, Jonah. Now, names also mean stuff. Maybe you know the meaning of your own name that your parents gave you. The name Jonah means dove. Son of Amittai means son of my faithfulness. So if you know the story, if you're familiar with it, right out the gate, you know this is a flighty prophet. Okay? He's going to take flight at a moment's notice. He's going to get startled and scared and take flight. But also the irony of being called son of my faithfulness, because Jonah is anything but faithful. (laughs) So, initially, we're introduced to this character that's loaded with irony. And we're going to get more into the irony next week. It's one of my favorite things about this book. So what do we know about Jonah? Well, we actually know, this isn't the first time Jonah has appeared. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But we know from elsewhere in scripture that Jonah was a prophet from a town called Gath Hefer, he, was, he prophesied in the kingdom of Israel. If you're familiar with Israel's history, they had a series of kings, starting with King Saul, then King David, and then King Solomon, and then after that, split. <laughs> the, the, Solomon's son, done messed up big time, and the ten northern tribes in Israel rebelled and broke off and formed their own nation. So you've got the nation, the kingdom of Israel to the north and the kingdom of Judah to the south. So you've got what's called the divided kingdom. And he was in the northern kingdom of Israel, which had no good kings, which constantly rebelled and drew people further and further away from God and his will for his people. But Jonah was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. And he prophesied around 786 to 746 B.C., about that 40-year period, uh, about 750 years before Jesus. And he served under King Jeroboam II. All right? Now, some of you are like, why does that matter? Because this is where we first see him. All right? Let's look at this. This is 2 Kings chapter 14. In the 15th year of Judah's king Amaziah, son of Joash, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, sorry, uh, <laughs> Donna, sorry, uh, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, became king of Israel in Samaria. And he reigned for 41 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not turn away from all the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. That is a common refrain through the book of First and Second Kings. This king did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not turn people away from the sins that this very first king of Israel, Jeroboam I, had done. So Jeroboam II comes around. He's also a bad dude. He's an evil king, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. But 
Here's the interesting thing. He restored Israel's borders as far as the Sea of the Arabah. Uh, I'm not going to go through all those names. Uh, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which had spoken through his servant, the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter for both slaves and free people. There was no one to help Israel. The Lord had said, he had not said he would blot out the name of Israel under heaven. So he delivered them by the hand of Jeroboam. So this interesting thing happens during the time of Jeroboam II through the prophet Jonah. Israel had been oppressed by this nation, this empire called Assyria. We're going to get to them in a minute. But during the reign of Jeroboam, they fought back. The kingdom of Israel regained some of the land they had lost to other peoples and expanded their kingdom and their military power and had this time of growth and success under Jeroboam II through the prophet Jonah. And it was clear from the text that the Lord was working to benefit his people, to bless his people in Israel, even though they had rebelled against him. That should be a clue as to what the story of Jonah is all about. Even though these people were evil, even though they, these people were lost, even though these people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, God still came to their rescue and blessed them through the prophet Jonah. So Jonah had been a court prophet of Jeroboam II, during a time of national expansion and progress. But here's the thing. Some scholars consider Jonah to be a patriotic, partisan nationalist. He was on the side of Israel and no one else. He didn't want other nations to prosper. He didn't want other nations to benefit. He was all about his own people, his own nation. He wanted Israel to thrive. Everyone else can, you know, bugger off. All right? He doesn't care about other nations. He cares about his own people. Some scholars consider him to be a patriotic, partisan nationalist on the side of Israel and no one else. So, back to our story. <laughs> the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, got a message for you. I've got a mission for you, Jonah. Verse 2. All right, moving right along. I hope you can keep up. Verse 2. God says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Yikes. Okay, here we have a problem. Let's press the brakes a little bit. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves again. Get up from Israel, from your hometown, from serving under this king, from, from making sure everything's going well in Israel, in your hometown, in your home nation, among your own people. Get up and go. Go where? To Nineveh. What? Because their evil has come up before me. Talk about understatements. So this is the first time in the entire Bible that God has called a prophet of his own people to go directly to another nation. If you read through like Isaiah, for instance, um, and many of the other prophets, they will have these lengthy uh, 
prophecies, words from God against other nations. They'll talk against Egypt or Edom or Assyria or Babylon or whatever it is. They'll talk about them and they'll write these things down and you can read God's judgment, God's proclamations to those other nations through these prophets. But this is the first time he's ever said, go directly to them. Don't just talk about them. Don't just prophesy here at home. Go to them. Go to these people. Go to the city of Nineveh, which was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. This is the first time God's ever called a prophet to go to another nation. But not just any nation. To the capital, to the heart of the Assyrian Empire. Now, Assyria was one of the cruelest empires in history. That's not just my word for it. Historians back that up. Everything we've discovered, everything from beheadings to enslavement to other atrocities so barbaric, I won't even mention them because we got, you know, my own, like, sons and younger folks in here. All right? If you really want to want to have your, you know, like skin crawl a little bit, just research some of the things that the Assyrian Empire did to those nations that they conquered. Absolutely terrifying. Some people would even call it a terrorist state um, because not only would they overthrow nations, but they would then like go in and like salt their, their fields so they couldn't grow anything. Like, they were atrocious. But here's the thing. Israel, during the time of Jonah, had already been paying tribute to Assyria for about a hundred years already. So for about a hundred years to this point, Israel had already been subject to the Assyrian Empire. The only reason Israel could expand their borders at one point was because the Assyrian Empire kind of went in decline for a couple decades. They had a couple of emperors who just didn't really know what they were doing and kind of let some things slide. So Assyria kind of went on the downturn while Israel kind of expanded for once. And so maybe this is their shot to gain freedom. I don't know. But God says, hey, go to Nineveh. Go to the heart of your enemy's empire." And preach against them because their evil has come up before me. Yikes. This raises a lot of concerns. This raises a lot of concerns. For one, how could God have asked anyone to betray his country's interests like that? This is not in Israel's best interest to have God's prophets go to Assyria. We want to see their destruction. We want to see their downfall. We don't want God to bless them. We don't want to give them a chance for anything. Just let them go to the, you know, become a footnote in history books. How could God have asked anyone to betray his own country's interests like this? Number two, it made neither practical nor theological sense. It didn't line up with Jonah's worldview or his understanding of how God worked in the world. For them, for most people in that part of the world, and in that era, gods were more tribal. They were more uh, centralized in locations. 
This is the God of Israel. You're not the God of Assyria. You're not the God of Nineveh. Why would that God send me to them? You're Israel's God. It made practical and theological sense. It did not make any sense at all. It did not compute. It did not mesh with his understanding of the way God and the world worked. And the third concern, there was no reason to send warning concerning destruction unless there was a chance for repentance. God wouldn't send someone to go preach against the nation unless there was a chance that that nation could repent and avoid that destruction. So all of these three concerns together made Jonah make a decision. Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna. (laughs) I'd rather not, God. I I would rather go on vacation. So Jonah got up, verse 3, to flee to Tarshish. It's a fun word to say, Tarshish. From the Lord's presence. He got up to flee. God gave him a mission. Go to Nineveh. Preach against it. Because their evil has come up before me. But Jonah got up and fled to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, we, looking at this story, well removed from it, could be like, Jonah, what are you doing? Are you an idiot? Come on, you can't run away from God. But hold your horses a little bit. Put yourself into Jonah's shoes, or sandals as it were, maybe. Put yourself in Jonah's position. Would you have gone? What about today? Would you go? If God said, hey, get up and go to Moscow, Russia. Preach against it. (laughs) Preach against Putin and his regime. Like, really? Would you go? What if he said, get up and go to Baghdad, Iraq? What if he said, go to Tehran in Iran? Would you go? What if he said, go to Pyongyang, North Korea? Would you go? What if God said, get up and go to Beijing, China? Would you go? What if he said, y'all might not know this one, but Khartoum, Sudan. Sudan is incredibly hostile towards Christians. That's why South Sudan split off. What if he said, go to the heart of Sudan, incredibly hostile towards Christians, and preach against it? Take the gospel of Jesus to those people. What if he came to you specifically and said, go? Would you? (laughs) I don't know that I would. I'm comfortable right here. Aren't there lost people right here in Mitchell? Aren't there lost people right here in Lawrence County? Aren't there lost people in Orange County? Uh, Definitely in Orange County. Aren't there people? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Like, can't I just go to my neighbor? Can't I just go to my own city? Okay, well, would you? Would you even go to your neighbor? Would you even cross the street? Would you even, dare I say, cross the White River to Bedford? Would you go if God called you to go? So many of us say no. (laughs) We're no better than Jonah. So let's not be so hard on him right out the gate. Let's not be so hard against him for doing the exact thing that many of us would do. 
Hey, go and, and preach and, and take the gospel to these people. Yeah, I'd rather go on a beach vacation instead. Yikes. Let's be a little bit more gracious towards Jonah before things get too terrible. So Jonah got up, verse 3, finishing that one out, to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa. Joppa was a port city in the southern coast of Israel along the Mediterranean Sea. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. That word paid the fare, by the way, some, depending on how you translate that word in Hebrew, it could have been he like commissioned the ship. He like paid for the entire ship to go. That's how desperate he was to get out. It's not just he bought a ticket to board. So if you notice, there's some repeating words and phrases in this one. Jonah got up, but then he went down. He went down to Joppa. He found the boat, and he went down into the boat. God said, get up. So Jonah went down <laughs> to flee to Tarshish three times. Tarshish is repeated. He went to flee to Tarshish. He found a boat going to Tarshish, and he got into it to go with them to Tarshish. Like, there was, make no mistake about it. This was pre-planned. This wasn't just accident. This is what Jonah had set out to do. He had planned completely to go against the word of the Lord and specifically from the Lord's presence, fleeing from the Lord's presence. Interestingly, it doesn't ever say he was fleeing from the people of Nineveh or the people of Assyria. He was fleeing from God. He was running away from God. If you know anything about geography, <laughs> the Nineveh is kind of 550, 600 miles or so to the northeast of Israel. Whereas Tarshish, as best we can tell, we don't know exactly, but as best we can tell, it was probably a town along the Spanish coastline. So complete opposite end of the Mediterranean Sea, a journey of about 2,500 miles by sea. Jonah didn't just ignore God. He went to the extreme other direction. God said, go up. Jonah went down. God said, go east. Jonah went west. God said, go over land. Jonah went out to sea. Could it be any more clear that Jonah is doing the exact opposite of what God had called him to do. He didn't just refuse and say no. He went to the opposite extreme to flee from God. All right, so verse four, moving along in our series. Again, I hope you can keep up. I hope we're not going too fast for you. Verse four, but the Lord, so they went out to sea, went out to Joppa, sailing across the Mediterranean from Israel all the way over to Spain, and at some point in the journey, the Lord threw, I like that imagery, the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. 
I love the imagery in this verse. I mean, terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Don't get me wrong. But God hurling a wind at the sea, a storm arising, a great wind and a great storm. That word great is repeated over a dozen times in these four chapters of Jonah. That the ship threatened to break apart. I love it. Like the ship is like, I can't hold together. The ship itself is kind of taking an active role in the story. I'm threatening to break apart. Oh no, this is terrible. Absolutely terrifying. If you've ever been out to sea and a storm arises, oh my gosh, talk about frightening. Uh, we were on a cruise in the Mediterranean during our um, semester abroad in Greece. And one night on this cruise ship, it did start storming. <laughs> And, like, on the inside, you can kind of feel it rocking a little bit back and forth. But then you kind of open the door to check out, look out over the deck. And it's just lightning and the rain going sideways. And you can tell, like, oh, we are at a much steeper angle than I thought. Yikes, I'm going back inside. Absolutely terrifying. And these were not just anybody. These were seasoned professional sailors on this ship. Now, if, again, if you know anything about weather patterns, storms usually go, right, from west to east, don't they? Well, they were sailing from east to west. So this storm literally came out of nowhere. They didn't see it coming. If God is kind of in Israel and threw the wind out to the sea, so to speak, they didn't see it coming it caught them totally off guard, totally by surprise. They would not have set sail if they saw a storm of this caliber on the horizon coming towards them. It came out of nowhere. They knew it was some kind of supernatural event that couldn't be explained other than maybe a God is angry at them. Because of this, the sailors were afraid. It's bad when even the professionals are afraid. <laughs> <laughs> when the this is their entire career. This is what they do for a living. And even they are afraid of this storm. And each one of them cried out to their own God. And then, oh my goodness, worst case scenario, they started throwing the cargo into the sea to lighten the load and try to save the ship. Their, that cargo was their livelihood. That was the whole reason for them to go and make this journey in the first place. If they don't have the cargo, they don't get paid on the other side wherever they make port. But they were valuing human life more than the stuff aboard. They were terrified. They were crying out to their gods. They were trying everything they could to save the lives of everybody aboard that ship. And where's Jonah? Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The downward journey continues. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the boat. He goes down into the deepest part of the boat and he stretches out and falls into a deep sleep. All of this imagery, all of this downward and the deep sleep, all of this Imagery is meant to convey a downward journey towards death. Jonah essentially has given up. He's quit on life. He surrendered it all and just said, nope, I'm out. I'm checking out completely. Whatever happens, happens. 
Our story is to be continued next week. Right? That, that's where episode one would end if you're watching this on a miniseries. That's where this would end. You know it. Jonah falling asleep. The sailors are terrified. The storm came out of nowhere. It's threatening to break up the ship. Everybody's life's in danger. And here he is sound asleep. Roll credits. To be continued. Let's talk about this a little bit more as we wrap up episode one. Anti-hero. The definition of anti-hero is a central character in a story, movie, or drama who lacks conventional heroic attributes, such as idealism, courage, and morality. Jonah is lacking in all of those. <laughs> he lacks idealism. He can't see the big picture that God has. He can't see the hope that God has. He is not on board with God's plan for humanity. He doesn't have courage. He lacks the courage. He's afraid, so he runs away. And he lacks absolutely any kind of morality. While the sailors, we'll talk about this more next week, while the sailors are trying to save everybody's lives, Jonah can't be bothered. He doesn't care at all. He doesn't care what happens to other people because of his own sin. Jonah is an anti-hero. I would say Jonah's not even the main character of the story, though. God is. God is actually mentioned way more times than even Jonah himself is. God's the main character. Jonah's just there to prove a point, and we'll get to that point here in just a moment, because this, this is one of the big takeaways I want you to get from the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is not just written to say, hey, can you believe what happened to this one guy? Hey, here's this crazy story. Let me tell you about it. No. The story of Jonah is not meant for us to critique Jonah. The story of Jonah is meant for us to critique ourselves. The story of Jonah is not so much a movie that you would watch as it is a mirror that you would look into. And the more you look into that mirror, the more you realize, I am Jonah. I am Jonah. Let's just get used to saying that together. Say it with me. I am Jonah. Every episode, we're going to have this I am Jonah moment. And we're going to look at what Jonah did and how we do the exact same thing. Jonah is more of a mirror for us to look into. I am Jonah. I've tried running from God and his will for my life. Either through rebellion or malicious compliance. There's two ways to run from God. And Jonah does both. Uh, Jonah runs away by rebelling. And later in the story, he rebels from God by just malicious compliance. Doing the bare minimum <laughs> that is required of him. And all of it is an attempt to control the agenda. We want to have control, so we're going to run if things get too hard, or we're going to try to control God in some other way, and to, in essence, to make him owe us something. Yeah, I've tried to give God boundaries. I've tried to say, hey, God, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. And so often, God just looks at our plans and laughs, like, yeah, <laughs> I never wanted to be a preacher. 
<laughs> so many people have asked me, why did you move to Mitchell? I don't know. <laughs> it's just where God needed me. Whatever the case. I, I don't know. But I've, I've learned that every time I try running from God or every time I try telling God no, he just kind of chuckles. Sometimes he'll send a storm. Sometimes I'll come to my senses before it gets to that point. But here's the thing. I'm Jonah in that I have struggled to relinquish control to God. Jonah wants to, to stay in control. So he is acting as his own agent to go down to Joppa, to go down into the boat, to go down deeper and fall asleep. If you can fall asleep, I mean, come on, you're, you're in control, right? You're not relinquishing control to anybody. You are the one that's in charge. Everybody else is panicking. I'm just here sound asleep. It's fine. And I'm going to Tarshish. I don't care what happens. So many times I, and I assume we, have struggled to relinquish control to God. How's that working? How's that working for you? Not so well, huh? And here's probably the biggest one. I realize I am Jonah because my own sin has brought difficulty to my life and harm to others. And sometimes I don't care. We've talked about sin and how, other, how a lot of times we live under the consequences of other people's actions. So many times we sin, we rebel against God, we mess up in some way, and it ends up harming other people. In fact, I would argue that there is not a sin on planet Earth that doesn't have repercussions for other people. All sin harms other people, not just you. Do we care? Jonah didn't. This storm, as we'll see next week, looking ahead a little bit, that storm was there because of Jonah. And these sailors' lives were threatened because of Jonah. And he didn't care. He'd just as soon they all die and perish at sea. I'm Jonah. The more I look at this story, the more I realize, wow, I don't have any room to judge at all. But here's the good news. I like this, what, what Tim Keller says in his book, The Prodigal Prophet, which is all about Jonah. And it connects the story of Jonah with the story of the prodigal son, which Jonah is both the younger brother and the older brother through the story. It's kind of interesting. But Tim Keller says, storms can wake us up to truths we would otherwise never see. Sometimes God does stuff to get our attention, to wake us up, to kind of smack us in the face and say, what are you even thinking? Come on, get it together. Sometimes he allows us to hit rock bottom so that we come to our senses. Whatever the case is, God uses the things in life and sometimes even the consequences of our own actions to wake us up to the truths that we would otherwise never see which brings us to the truth of Jesus and Jonah. We're going to have an I am Jonah moment each week, and we're going to have a Jesus and Jonah moment each week because I think Jesus' story lines up as sort of the anti-Jonah. <laughs> the Jonah but better, all right? So God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, 
and he fled. God told Jesus, his one, his only son, hey, you're going to leave from my presence in heaven, and you're going to become human. You're going to go to these people who are lost, who need you, who are going to hate you, who are going to mock you and despise you, and who are ultimately going to kill you, take your life, but you're going to go because it's part of my rescue plan for them. So if we compare the first few verses of Jonah with, the, with what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, I've come back to this so often because it's critical, that we see that Jonah got up to flee from Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Well, Jesus also left God's presence too. Adopt the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited, but he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity. Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. Jesus came to earth, leaving God's presence to be with us so that we could be eternally in God's presence. But it doesn't stop there. This idea that Jonah went down to Joppa, down into the boat, down into the deepest level of the, of the boat, and into a deep, deep sleep. <laughs> Philippians 2, Paul writes, And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Both Jesus and Jonah had these downward trajectories, these downward paths in their life. But whereas Jonah, Jonah's downward journey was an attempt to avoid God's mission, Jesus' own downward journey was a fulfillment of God's mission. God told Jonah to go, and he fled. God told Jesus to go, and he bled for us. He died for us. He put his own life on the line so that we could be saved. He is the anti-Jonah. He shows us how it was supposed to be done. Because so often we are Jonah, but we are called to be like Jesus instead. And that is where we're heading with this story. Tyson, if you would come on up. The story of Jonah is one of my favorites. All right, we're five verses in. I hope that's not too fast for you. Next week, it does pick up. Episode two is the rest of Jonah chapter, chapter one. So if you want to read ahead and see what happens, by all means, be my guest. But I hope you'll stick with us through this journey because I, can, I think you're going to see in so many ways how you are Jonah. I am Jonah. We are all Jonah in this story. And Jonah is not the hero of the story. God is. We are not the hero and the main character of our own story. God is, through Christ Jesus our Lord.